0: the Radical Brilliance Podcast, with Arjuna Arda and brilliant guests from around the world who are contributing to the evolution of humanity. Today's guest is Mickey Agrawal, who's going to talk about how to be a disruptor. So here's your host, Arjuna Arda.
1: Hey, welcome back to the Radical Brilliance Podcast. You know, this podcast is all about living a life of contribution, living a life where you have your needs and your desires and you have your fears that you want to alleviate, but overall... Your life is dedicated to something bigger than that. So you can enjoy things, you can enjoy something nice to eat, you can make sure you've got enough money, but your bigger mission, your overall purpose, is bigger than just me and my needs. So people often ask me, well, okay, who's an example? Like, who? Who lives that way? The first episode in this podcast was with Lynn Twist, who is maybe the greatest example I've ever met. But people often ask me, well, okay, but what about younger people? You know, people are just getting started out. Who can you think of who's really living that way? If I'm pressed in that way, my answer would be today's guest, Miggy Agrawal, and her husband, Andrew Horn. Mickey is a fireball. She's a force of nature to be reckoned with. She's something that I've never encountered previously in my life, and I don't think I'm going to encounter again in quite the same way. Mickey is on fire on fire she's amazing as you'll hear she wrote this book called disruptor which is actually disrupt her right which of course sounds like disruptor but she's all about disruption disruption in the most positive way disrupting the archetypes we have of what a woman can do particularly in our culture disrupt her what does it mean to be disruptive in a particular industry? She had a restaurant, and the reason she had a restaurant is she was working in the movies in California in Los Angeles area, and all the food that they would bring there was there was you know they were doing movies, conscious people, California all the food they were bringing was provided by i guess uh you know s- fast food sponsors, so it was all like junk it was like pizza and coke and stuff so what did she do? She founded a restaurant a pizza restaurant that was actually healthy that offered you know different kinds of flour for the base offered healthy toppings uh, so she did that um, she went you know so she wanted to dis- she 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 realized people were eating pizza and there was no healthy pizza so what did she do she disrupted the industry from there she went on to recognize that tampons and other products connected with the menstrual cycle used by women exclusively had mostly been designed by men and the companies were built by men so what did she do she disrupted the feminine hygiene industry she disrupted it she went on to to create a very very innovative product called thinks which is uh yeah it's a form of, of uh, underwear that uh, allows women to have their pre- period and to be not not uh, inconvenienced by it in the same way. She was, it was as a woman thinking about women's needs. She went on to disrupt the way we understand going to the bathroom. She realized we use so many trees and, and, and uh, resources in toilet paper. And actually, in Europe, many people use a bidet. So she developed a portable bidet, which I've actually got in my office. It's called um, Tushy. Uh, so you can just attach it to your to your toilet bowl. It costs less than seventy dollars, and it you don't need toilet paper anymore. These are all disruptive ways of thinking of an industry. She looks at an industry that's well established, often that's been founded by men a long time ago, and she brings uh, she brings a feminine, wild, free, intuitive spirit to it. So Mickey and her twin sister rada who's also a guest on this podcast mickey's just around 40 now and she's obviously going to go on disrupting industries for the rest of her life she's a serial entrepreneur but even more than that she's a serial disruptor all the products she's created are magnificent but what i'm impressed by and the reason i invited her as a guest is not just to talk about washing our bums or having a period or pizza what I'm more impressed about is the spirit of disruption that pervades everything in her life. They're good friends of mine, Mickey and Andrew, and I, I was staying with them in, uh, in Brooklyn, in, in, in New York area. And I was, I was amazed and impressed that just during the short time I stayed with them, one guest after another would come through, someone some young entrepreneur, and she would just sit down on the couch with them and totally disrupt the way they were thinking about their industry. She disrupts everything. So please enjoy this incredible conversation with Mickey Agrawal and her husband, Andrew Horn. This will be the first of many conversations with both of them because I am so inspired by the spirit they bring to their lives, by the spirit they bring to everything. You can find them on Instagram and elsewhere on social media. They both fit so exactly what we're talking about in this podcast. You can expect much more of them. But let's, let's switch over now to the conversation I had with Mickey and Andrew. Hey guys, thank you for joining me.
2: Of course. Here.
1: Excited to be here. Yeah. Same. Yeah. Uh, high five. That was a high five for those of you on audio. So yeah, I wanted to talk to you today about, about your businesses, which really, I mean, it's such a wide variety of crazy shit you've done. All right, which is all somehow, to me, it all brings me back to this question of who says, who says it has to be that way, mm. right? Let's start with, uh, start out with pizza, right? Well, no, it started out with, with, pizza. with the World Bank. We started out working in the bank. Yes, right? yeah. yes. So let, let's go back there, and then we'll, we'll go through the how all this happened.
2: Yeah, of course. So um, I graduated from Cornell in 2001, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, if, if I wasn't going to be a doctor, My Indian father said that banker is okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) so, (laughs) so I basically. Well, you better do that then. Yeah, banker, okay. It's not a respectable job. (laughs) And um, (laughs) so I got a job at Deutsche Bank, I mean, Deutsche Bank. (laughs) All right. Uh And, um, and. I officially started my job September 1st. You first. got a job where? At Deutsche Bank.
1: Bank? Bank. I have not heard. <laughs> Douchebag. Let me Google Duschbag.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um
2: Yeah, so so I did my training. So basically before you start you officially start your job in investment banking, you do two months of training. Yeah. Um, which was right across to Royal Trade Center. Um uh-huh. Uh, and then I officially started my job that first week in September um, of 2001. You're kidding?
1: Yeah, really? You yeah. started your job? Yeah. Like, beginning? Oh, wow.
2: September of 2001, right. R- and my subway stop every single morning was to World Trade Center. Right. And 9/11 happened, and and I remember it was it was, um, you know, my my girlfriend worked on the hundredth floor mm. um, at Aon, and she went downstairs to get get tea or coffee right when they're playing downstairs to the bottom so 700 people in her office died on that day two people in my office died on that day and it was the first and only time in my life that I slept through my alarm clock wow
1: So So you, you, you basically,
2: I missed the whole thing. Missed the whole thing. Yeah. And I remember waking up and I was like, Oh my God, it was like, it was 10 o'clock in the morning when I woke You slept up at 10 o'clock. It was the only day in my life. I'm I'm the lightest Ah. sleeper. Like ask Andrew, I'm the lightest sleeper. Right. And it was 10 o'clock in the morning and I woke up and I remember being like, Oh my God, I got I am so, I'm late for work. I just started my job. I'm Uh like, Oh, I'm such a, what happened? How did I do this? And I tried calling all these car services to, to, to drive me to the, to work. Yeah and all the lines were busy oh, yeah. the phone lines were busy wow. and I finally I called and I called and I called and finally someone picked up at the car service like I need a car I need a car and all the guy said was turn your TV on and then hung up the phone and um, and of course I turned the TV on because I couldn't get through anyone and that was mm. when I checked my email and I had 100 messages mm. from terrified people worried that wow. I was there and yes. um, it sort of was my wake up call like that you know that moment in time I was 22 years old Whew. and it was my wake up call that you know, the mystery of life is you never know when it's going to end. Sure. And um, so, where
1: was your floor relative to?
2: My, I was right across to World Trade Center. So all of the shrapnel that um, fell when the, okay. when the World Trade Center fell, all of that stuff fell onto Deutsche Bank and destroyed half of the building. I see. Yeah. So all my colleagues had oh. these stories of jump like sprinting underneath a car, just ducking before like it rained metal and like wow. thousand tons of stuff Shush, yeah. hit them. Um, yeah. So just a wild, wild story. Mm. And what's was interesting is that um, every investment bank I found out have these disaster recovery sites, so these mm. big warehouses. Mm. and so my office was three and a half hours away each direction, which was in this big warehouse where they were like, it was like rows of desks with just phones and computers and phones and computers and phones and computers. And phones and computers and and I was so eerie it was like that movie what was that movie called um
3: where Boiler Room
2: Boiler Room it was Mm. literally Boiler Room Mm. and um during that time I was just like you know like asking myself like what is my dream because I could die tomorrow. and so You asked
1: yourself when in relation to the, to, to September 11th. Like,
2: right, during that time. Like yeah, I when, as I was driving back and forth three hours each way on the bus oh, right. to get to, to go the go office, to the new location, the new yeah. location yeah. where they had a disaster recovery site. Mm. And I was just like, what am I doing with mm. my life, going to this job that right. I hate right. because it's paying good money and it makes my Indian father
1: happy? Well, you know, that's the critical question, actually. It's the question that caused me to write Radical Brilliance, and it's the question that I try to provoke my clients into asking mm. with Radical Brilliance is, you know, what are you doing with your life? Is this is this really... And we'll we'll loop back to that later in our talk, but, you know, is this... Not only is this the life that you want to live, but is this the legacy that you want to leave? You right. Know, is this the example you want to leave your children?
2: Right, right. So that... Exactly. And so it was just... For me, it's like, well, what, do I, what lights me up? And I wrote down, like, three things that really I want to do with my life. And the first was to play soccer professionally.
1: Uh-huh.
2: Um, the so second, you haven't done that yet. I played soccer all four years in college. It uh-huh. the yeah. highest level, played at the highest level in Canada. Yeah. And um, I really wanted to play professionally, and that mm-hmm. was, like, a dream of mine, to be a mm-hmm. professional soccer player. And then um, and the second dream was to uh, be in the film business, make movies. Okay. And then the third third thing I wanted to do was start a business. Okay. And um, I tried out for the New York...
1: What about punching Yoda? That...
2: Chewbacca. Chewbacca. Chewbacca, Chewbacca yeah, right? Yeah.
1: Get it we'll, we'll come on to that. Yeah, yeah right. that just
2: happened uh-huh. uh, randomly. Yeah, um, yeah so um, so I worked in... I, I basically tried out for the New York Magic that were having, holding tryouts for walk-ons. I'm in Brooklyn. I snuck out of my investment making job, you know, twice a week to go and try out and made the team, made the starting lineup. Wow. And I was all set to quit my job, and I was like, "Let me play the first game and see what happens." First game, of the season started. Within the first eight minutes of my, you know, professional career, uh, assisted a goal, crossed the ball, and then, you know, the striker headed in the goal, and it was amazing. And in that moment, this defender came and took out my knee, oh. and I heard the telltale snap and tore my ACL. Oh, okay. So I had to stay at the investment bank to get the very best health insurance, uh. um, and the very best, um, you know, personal, you know, Ooh. physical therapy. And went back, you know, and, and had to, it took me seven months to get back in mm. the right shape. Mm. And then went back out again, made the team again, mm. in the starting lineup again. Mm. And in the semi-final game, tore my other ACL. Oh. Oh. So it was sort of the universe giving me a gift, saying that this is not your calling. Mm. You made it this far, mm. but... You know, this isn't what you're meant to do. Right. And so, the second thing on my list was to make movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I spent my summers working for the guys who produced *Dumb and Dumber* and *Kingpin* and all these. You know, as my father called it, very smart movies. Not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> and um, he, <laughs> um, you know, we we uh, that was when I really fell in love with the the storytelling. Yeah. With really like how much. You can impact. You can put someone at the edge of their seat and suspense, and and create and make someone laugh and, and roll on the floor laughing, and and you can just create these moments um, through just words and through images and through sort of the right storytelling and that the flow of a story. Hmm. And um, you know that that job really proved to be super important. You know when I started my businesses to really learn how to well, change so a conversation. Um, so I read scripts for the for the oh. people who um, and then well well when I when I graduated from when, when after I, I left the investment bank, um, I started working in, as a production assistant picking up trash on the streets and driving directors around okay. and getting coffee for you know my my Asian parents who were like you went to Cornell like what are you doing <laughs> you know they couldn't believe that I was doing that kind of menial labor you yeah. know taking trash out like and then but very quickly within four months I worked my way up to producing mm. and production managing big commercials mm. and music videos. Mm. Um, And um, and then it was during this time where I had my first ding 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 moment for my first business idea, which was born out of a stomach ache. Mm-hmm. I was working, I was eating on sets of commercials and music videos, right. and I would have there was these tables called craft service tables, which was just basically free snacks and junk food, unlimited. that you can just eat all day and instead of buying food. I would just eat this craft service table because I was like, you know, still paying off a lot of student loans. And I would just come home every day with awful stomach aches are mm. eating, like, pigs in the blanket and all these, like, disgusting foods. Mm. And I would just come home with just, like, rolled over in pain, and finally I said, enough is enough, and I researched it mm. and discovered the massive processed food industry yeah. and that there were over a billion obese people on the planet in addition to a billion hungry people on the planet.
1: Did you talk to Eric Meats at all about what he does with WildFit? No. Who we were in the car with last night.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, no, he's great. Yeah. yeah,
1: I'm curious to... He, he's got a whole incredible education program.
2: Around food health. Around,
1: food. yeah, around getting back to what's really the human diet. But anyway, that's a, wow. that's a whole other concept. Wow, amazing.
2: Yeah, yeah so, um, so I just sort of, you know, like... I started thinking about my own self and what I'd given up as far as foods go. Mm. And I'd given up my favorite comfort food, which was pizza. Right. You know, I had to give it up because it was made of bleach flour, processed cheese, all this crap mm. in this food. Mm. You know, and yet it was a very, it's a food that everyone loved. Mm. You know, Americans eat 100 acres of pizza every single day.
1: 100 acres? Yes. Wow. $32 billion industry. Can you imagine that for a minute? 100 acres of pizza.
2: <laughs> and so, um, and so that was sort of, um, you know, I was like, oh, my God, like, what if you can create the alternative version mm-hmm. of America's favorite pastime? And you have right. flowers, hormone-free cheeses, seasonal local toppings. You know, use local, mm. you know, hormone-free cheeses and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and vegan options and have alternative mm. cheeses and, and obviously gluten-free. Gluten-free, and so, yeah. Yeah, and so that was sort of my first idea that, you know, that was born out of a stomachache while oh. I was working and eating crappy food on set, right. and that's when I was like, "Oh my god, I'm gonna go and, and open my first my first business, which was a restaurant." Mm-hmm. And then what was my... the name of the restaurant? Um, at the time, it was called Slice,
1: mm-hmm. the
2: perfect food. Okay. And then it was rebranded to Wild. Um, and so that so so I opened my first restaurant. You know, raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars without really any experience. Mm. Um, you know, f- doing hosting these, these sort of fundraising dinner parties where I would create this sort of like community atmosphere and and have people participate in this sort of like food tasting and and experience and then was able to raise you know $250,000 that way and then built my first restaurant and then opened up you know a couple of more Um, and and then you know this is when you know I spent seven years like doing the best I could to
1: build a business but just and you told me you were really hands-on in those restaurants. Oh right? yeah! I
2: washed dishes. I made the pizzas. Mm. When 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 a pizza man didn't show up, I jumped in the line. You know, I waited tables when I needed to. Right. You know, de- de- even I even did, de- did deliveries when I needed to. This was three
1: locations in Manhattan, right?
2: At the time, it was one, and now there's three. Okay. One in Brooklyn, one in Manhattan, and now there's one in Guatemala. I did have one, Guatemala. two in Brooklyn. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. Um, and um, yeah, so it was one of those. Like, I feel like I, I I got my calloused hands when yeah. I came to work, yeah. working so hard. I worked, you know, 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. seven days a week for seven straight years. And, you know, it was such a hard, like, thankless job. You know, you yeah. have these, you know, New York City Department of, like, sanitation or whatever come in. And the health department would come in, like, mafia. And, you know, it's like, oh, you have, you know, a, a knife mark in your cutting board. And you're like, that's what a cutting board is for like oh we have to sand it down let me to sand it down every time I cut a, what are you talking so they would charge $1,500 fine $1,500 fine that was just like the most stressful yeah. experience and yet the reason why I kept doing it was because I really loved you know having people fall in love in my restaurants and sure. have
1: people eat gluten-free I've seen pizza pictures. yeah there was know, a, wasn't there even weddings weddings at yeah. my
2: restaurant right. and it was just yeah. like a place where people deepen their relationships and yes. it was also a place where I could eat food that I really loved and craved that was that you know using ingredients that I really trusted and loved and so um you know one of the things that you know in my in my first book do cool shit I talk about um the three questions you have to ask yourself before, before starting a business and the first question is what sucks in your world mm-hmm. um you know so for me like having stomach aches and having this product that I could eat, that I trusted the ingredients, Mm -hmm. you know, that's what kept me really passionate about this business. Um, Second question is, does it suck for a lot of people? Um, Well, you know, at this point, 20% of Americans eat, now eat gluten-free, you know, um, one in five Americans are lactose intolerant, um, intolerant. So many people are now, you know, have lots of intolerances to lots of things, gluten, dairy. Um, processed foods.
1: Let me just it. jam on that for a second, just because you mentioned it. For the people listening, you know, those figures about one in five lactose. I'm just going to actually reference Eric's work we yeah. were in the car with. Those figures apparently are like people who actually go to the doctor complaining, like, uh, you know, I'm, you know, they, they've got obvious symptoms. But apparently, if we talk about who can who can actually properly digest cow's milk, very few. It's about ten percent. Right. And that's in ten thousand years, ten percent of Homo sapiens has accustomed to itself to the the milk of another mammal. Ninety percent actually, you can't. You may not get full-on uh, inflammation or something, but ninety right. percent can't digest it properly, which right. is a whole other conversation about how far we've drifted away from the diet we had for two hundred right. and forty thousand years. Right, nuts,
2: seeds, fruits, vegetables. Right. You, know, honey, maybe you
1: eggs. Those are
2: yeah, eggs. Honey, yeah, honey. I mean, you, and yeah. if you want to go and kill a animal and eat it right there for food, which is what lions do, like yeah. you know, and you don't do it inhumanely, mm. that's fine too. You right. know, But now all these farm animal, like exactly. just it's, it's, it's genocide. Um, anyway, that
1: was a diversion. But yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. So that was my first, um, you know, business. You know, really got the cows' hands through hard work. Um, I brought a partner in to now run to, to run the restaurants in 2013. and that. Did you
1: say number three? You said number one was what sucks. What sucks sucks in my
2: world. Number two is it sucks for a lot of people. And number three. And number three is can I be passionate about this particular issue for a, you know, cause or community for a really long time.
0: If you're enjoying this podcast with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might also enjoy our 8-week online group coaching program. It's an opportunity to go deep and get stable in practices that enhance your own brilliance. We only take 20 participants at a time, so in a small and intimate group, you can go through the whole radical brilliance cycle you'll have an accountability partner and another brilliant aspirant from somewhere around the world. The eight-week coaching program involves eight one-hour webinars with Arjuna Arda and a group of other Radical Brilliance coaches. You'll also receive one 30-minute coaching session with your own personal coach every week and one 90-minute coaching session with Arjuna himself. It's the ideal opportunity to drop deep into yourself, into the source of your own creativity, and to get support for an entire eight weeks of mining your own radical brilliance and bringing it forth into a project or creation that can truly serve the future of humanity. Find out more at RadicalBrilliance.com and click on the Programs tab.
1: So, you know, before we go into the other businesses, I want to zone in because yeah. I'm really interested in brilliance. You know, that's mm. that's our whole thing here is, is and I think in a kind of drunken moment without any alcohol. Uh, last night I was saying, you know, that I, I you and all of you, you and, and, and Radha and Andrew, you all of you, you like you emanate this quality that I recognize. Of mm. just So what I want to ask you is there you were working in uh, in Hollywood On movie sets Mm -hmm. and having this I mean I'm sure a lot of people go ah what am I doing I'm eating all this crummy food
2: actually in New York because New York film sets too okay got it LA was was in the summers when I was but yeah,
1: yeah yeah so you're on these movie sets eating crummy food and I think a lot of people get that far of like oh what am I doing could do something else but it doesn't really translate into a restaurant and more restaurants and it doesn't translate into serial entrepreneurship so what do you think you got going on that makes that idea become reality
2: yeah, I mean, I think my parents, you okay. know, they came to this country, my dad from India, my mom from Japan, hmm. without any family members, any connections, anything, you know, they, they got married, got together, and, and, and had three of us, and um, throughout our entire lives, they would just see problems in the community, and they would just solve them, even if they had, didn't have any, you know, very, very little money or resources or connections, they still figured it out. For example, when we were kids, there was no gifted children's summer camp um, In Montreal, and so my parents started the first Gifted Children Summer Camp. Mm. They found the right teachers. They found the venue. They found the, you know they they got all the students together. They, you know, created the curriculum. It was a whole thing, and they just said, "All right, well, if it doesn't exist, just go do it." Okay. And then when we were kids as well, there was no you know, um, there wasn't any electronics courses, and so for children because at the time there was electronics were just nascent. Yeah. And my parents were like, "We want our kids to learn about electronics." But there's nothing nowhere for them to learn. We're just going to create an electronics co- kits company, uh-huh. um, and built these little kits that had like a breadboard with brands, you know, transistors, resistors, burglar alarms, and switches, and, uh-huh. and, and LED lights. And you got to like make these things out of electronics. My dad wrote the manual. My mom drew the pictures. My parents then sent us all over Canada and sold all over all over over the country. Crazy. And so it was just by example, I think, was really cool.
3: I have, I have an outsider perspective on that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember when Mickey and I just started dating. How long ago was that? Uh, eight years. Yeah. 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 Eight years. So it was year number one, and I went to visit them at their parents' house in Connecticut. Where was it?
2: Um, in South Windsor, Connecticut. In
3: South Windsor, Connecticut. And I just remember that I was inside the house, and her dad Raj was outside, and he was raking leaves. And I remember that I yelled at him through the window, and I was like, Mr. Agarwal, do you need help? And he said, if you see somebody doing something, don't ask. Just go help them.
1: Uh
3: It was like his assumption was that if there was work to be done, if there was a problem, go do it. Mm -hmm. Like, don't ask. Of course there is. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And that was like the assumption just go do it. Mm -hmm. And I think that Mickey really embodies that of just like, Mm -hmm. if there is a
1: problem, if there is work to be done, don't ask, just do it. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I'm sitting in the room right now with two people. Who, frequent both of you frequently, reference the awesome influence of your parents. Mm. <laughs> so I think you know what, what what no? yeah. true that. True, yeah. that true that true that true uh, that. I think what, what's interesting is to see. So so you were kind of actually lucky in a way. To mm-hmm. have an amazing role model in your father, and you've certainly, your and mother, mother, and mother, yeah, 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 and um, and your mother's Sam Horn, who's you know started the Maui Writers Conference and is also completely awesome. So what do you think? I mean, this quality that your father demonstrated for you. And and mother. Yeah, but I'm... Yeah, okay. (laughs) And mother demonstrated for you of just go go do it. Yeah. If somebody didn't have parents like that, I'm a great believer in practice. What do you think would be the most effective practice to to install that app if it's not already in the Hmm. software?
2: Um, I think... I will add one more thing to that is that I have a twin sister yeah. Rada who you've now yeah, talked to as well she's on our podcast yeah. she and I together since mm. we were born mm. were always like that's a great idea I love that idea go do it yes mm-hmm. let's go do it yeah. and it was just someone to like constantly like egg you on to go do something and, and was so excited about the idea that you put forth and so enthusiastic for the other and so I think you know, one way to download the app and not even if you don't have it installed initially yeah. is to find a friend or someone who is super excited right. and like and is your accountability buddy. Yeah, you know, to hold you accountable to like do something and great. and want to impress each other and show right. each other that you can do it. And I think there's that piece that is really critical having great community around you who inspires you which we do in new york yeah um you know if if it's not your parents which we we did and then now it's our friends in new york who all are doing amazing things Mm. um uh, and around the world and i think that you know when you see that you get inspired going going to burning man for example is inspiring and get you to see like what's possible for the human spirit you know from an art and creative perspective um, exactly. That's, you know. a, that's
1: a great... We had a great dinner last night, didn't we? Yeah. You know, and uh, with your mother, Sam Horn was there, and, and Eric Edmeads from WildFit. And I could feel just as we were around the dinner, there was a spirit of just bringing out the best in each other. So that's mm-hmm. a great answer, actually. If you, don't, if you were lucky enough to be born into that kind of community, then, then be grateful. Yeah,
2: like you went and found it,
1: right? I went and found it. And I think to some degree, I hope that I created it for my kids. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah.
2: So so then I brought in a, a a partner to run the restaurants with me, but really operate the restaurants because you know there are you know different types of people who are who are sort of has zones of genius. my zone of genius is creative design brand aesthetic voice mm. um you know and someone else's uh zone of genius could be operations you know like managing a team, mm. dealing with the logistics of day to day like you know hiring fire you know like all those things, like I found that person who loved who's excellent at that mm. to really run and operate the restaurants, and what was the
1: process you went through to look for a person like
2: that? Oh my god, I, I mean, I went through five different managers who stole from me, mm. who paid you know one of them had another restaurant right next to my restaurant and paid his staff with my restaurant's money. I mean, it was oh. crazy the amount oh, nice. of stuff that happened when I would leave one of my restaurants go to another. You know, my you know, some of the you know, the the people who worked for me figured out that they can just charge people less and then pocket the rest. It was just like so my numbers would go down by half every time I left. It was just like wild. Wow. And I just didn't have the right checks and balances in place. Um and so I learned a lot, you know, from my partner who came in, put
1: systems in place that was made it really hard. To, so what was the process you went through to find the right partner?
2: I mean trial and error because people mm. can you know people can present themselves really well exactly. initially and then you know I think we have a gut feeling and sometimes we ignore yeah. our gut because we need someone so badly yeah. and you just put someone in even if cause just quickly to have yeah. someone there yeah. you know for my most recent company Tushy and, and we'll we'll get to that in a second but I spent six months hiring my CEO mm. you know for, for the restaurants it took me like probably three or four years of messing up find, getting the wrong people I just needed someone really badly that could work mm. for me before I found the person that, when I brought him in, my first, when, when he, like, rode his bicycle by my restaurant, after, he worked with Moby on his restaurant, and um, he owned eight restaurants all around the city, this guy, leave my partner now, and when, when I called him to just see if he wanted to, you know, work with me at my restaurants, he randomly was in the neighborhood, and then he, like, the first thing I asked him was, do you believe in karma? Mm. That was my first question to him. <laughs> and he was like, Mickey, every time I have a bad thought, A bicycle and I don't love my foot (laughs)
1: where's (laughs) he from
2: he's from um, Tunisia okay and so um, so I was like my second question was are you the genie from Aladdin (laughs) i like did I just rub a lamp and did you just come Mm -hmm. out yeah um and he's been my partner ever since and he's been incredible loyal loving honest yeah you know like pays me my fair share like amazing yeah pay back investors slowly but surely every single year yeah um and um yeah it's been a it's been it's been a fascinating experience so that that really the fact I found someone to run my restaurants freed up my time to really build my next business which is thinks yeah. and thinks is what you know ha, you know it was disrupting you know an antiquated um category, which is the feminine hygiene category yeah. you know tampons pads menstrual cups those are the you know biggest most prominent things you know feminine products,
1: hygiene developed by men
2: all developed by men yeah um because women were Same. not getting invested in you know yeah. back then so you know, men men invented these things, and women had to put them inside themselves or or use them, which were uncomfortable, didn't work properly, leaked, you know, made with bleach, all these awful things. And so
1: now, did things happen before you guys met or after you met? And before it launched widely. So they mm.
3: were working on, on the product, but yeah. it hadn't launched publicly until about two years into our relationship. Yeah. Got it. Yeah.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, nothing could have happened without...
1: What, what were you doing when When you... Where, 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 what was your, your first... So Mickey and I met at Summit Series All right, in Summit.
3: 2011. Cool. And at the where, time, uh, did... we were on the boat. So okay. we were dancing woman. to ah. Pretty Lights in the Roots ah. on a cruise ship with a thousand people. Ah. Uh, where were we, like in the, uh, on the Caribbean? Yeah, yeah, like on the way to Jamaica. On the way yeah. to Jamaica. And you
1: were an entrepreneur at the time. So I
3: was an entrepreneur. So my he first has- company right mm-hmm. out of college uh, was a nonprofit called Dreams for Kids DC, mm-hmm. and so it was an organization that empowered young people with disabilities to come off the sidelines and unite with their peers through sports. Mm-hmm. And so we did. Uh, Pretty much all of the adaptive athletics now for the major sports teams in the D.C. area, the Washington Capitals, Redskins, Wizards, Uh, you name it and so it was basically not only providing events but building capacity for organizations that help young people with disabilities so that everyone knew what was going on they could basically kind of empower their kids to attend more of these events and really kind of like make friends and just pop out the isolation that's so prevalent within the disability community Mm -hmm. so
1: cool it was so
2: amazing I went to some of his events when we first started dating yeah and it was like these kids who you know, playing lacrosse for the first time and showing that they can do it—kids with disabilities hmm. or kids playing baseball with the Washington Nationals. You know, it was like these kids were just lighting up and building so much confidence with themselves. Also, he went to this—I went to one of his events called Holiday for Hope, where he had all these kids from wow. you know homeless shelters who came and had the best Christmas of their lives. So, you know, wow. each kid got set five presents Kudos, each, man. and really <laughs> well, incredible. One of, the, one of the really
3: cool ideas of Dreams for Kids is that you know service and social entrepreneurship kind of transformed my life. It gave me a sense of purpose where I had none really graduating from college. And so it was the idea that we were working with some of these communities, like young people with disabilities who are oftentimes the recipient of service, but I kind of had this recognition at a young age that the ability to help someone else is what gave me a, a sense of self-worth. Mm-hmm. So why do we withhold oh, so that say, same...
1: Say that again. That's such a great thought.
3: So yeah. it was The ability... That The ability to help help someone else is what gave me my own sense of self-worth.
1: We could just chant that for five minutes. But if you think
3: think about that for a second, it's like where there are so many marginalized communities who are the recipients of much-needed service, Mm. but that we so often withhold the opportunity for those people to give back. When helping another person is what we've all experienced is the most fulfilling thing. And so what we would try and do is basically take kids who are participants and then turn them into these mentors who would then lead other kids. And then you'd have them basically volunteering at other events with the idea that you can empower anyone by giving them an opportunity to serve to help yeah. someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even kids with
2: disabilities who are always the ones like getting the handouts. Imagine you give those people the ability to lead. Yeah. they now all of a sudden go from feeling like, oh, I'm just asking for handouts, to being like, oh, I'm like, I'm worthy. I Contribute can help someone hands. else. You know, and that's yes. what that's, great. that's what Dreams for Kids. So you know, good. Was so, so good. Cool. That's a
1: really good point. That actually we often wanna, we want to help people. Who are disadvantaged? If you can actually help them to help people, exactly, that's where they get their self worth. That's back. it. So yeah. important. It's yeah. brilliant. It was brilliant. Incredible. Yeah. Really good. Thanks, yeah. Man. <laughs> really good. Yeah. <laughs> really good. yeah. Truth. Yeah.
2: And then, yeah. and then with you know with that, I mean, honestly, like like Andrew and his mom is are the ones who inspired me to write my first book, do cool shit. After mm. I only had my restaurants mm. to really teach you know people who've never had businesses before mm. have a blueprint to sort of like go from step zero to step one mm-hmm. in business. Mm. Um, and starting out anything they want. Right, Um, right. Yeah, and so then at that time, you know, I was building Thinks, um, which, you know, grew very quickly. From 2014, we had a quiet launch. 2015, we had multiple viral moments. You know, went from, you know, $25,000 a month to a million dollars a month in revenue, like, very quickly.
1: Let me jump on that for a second, sorry, because just you keep dropping these little pearls that I just want to go pick them up and go, wait a minute. So... You said we had, we had a... This is a very important thing. You said we had a quiet launch and then several viral moments. And that's actually a lot to learn in those words. Mm-hmm. Because so often we, we come from this old model, you know, where you had like printed books or something. where you, It was like there was this idea that everything had to happen in a week. Yeah. And if whatever didn't happen in that week. And the reason that that idea at least came in, in the book industry and actually also in the movie industry is publishers would give you six weeks to sell a certain number of copies right. if you didn't sell them in the first six weeks you would be remaindered and now it's no longer true so you have the possibility of what you call a soft launch which means you can quietly release something mm-hmm. and let it build very slowly and organically which was what I've done with Radical Brilliance and it's actually it actually gives you a whole different experience and it allows you not just to have like a launch window and that's right. it but viral moments as you put it that's really nice how you said that yeah. mm. really nice
2: yeah I mean, so that, that was really powerful. I think our, our main viral moment came from when the New York City public transit system tried to ban our subway ads yeah. because of the word period yeah. in it. Yeah. And, and that sort of fight with the New York City public transit system, that story went viral, yeah. which was wow. And that was like the, what made me realize that you really can turn lemons into lemonade. Yeah. Right? So a tough experience, a setback where you're like, oh my God, all my hard work in creating these beautiful campaign could be for not, or I can use that mm. to my advantage mm. for the business. And, mm. and those moments were those moments of friction actually created the most viral moments for us. Yeah. Um, one of the stories was when you know, the trans community wanted a pair of underwear. They tweeted at us constantly that they wanted underwear because they were transitioning from women to men. So they still had a uterus and therefore they still had their periods. Some of them did if they didn't um, go through the hormone therapy. Mm. So that was a really that was another viral moment for us mm. where we took you know that 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 sort of that conversation and 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 brought it to to kind of gave it a larger platform. Uh, we put a trans man in, in one of our big subway campaigns, yeah, which was mm. really um, fun. Um, yeah, so so that so that was you know a huge explosion of a business. It was the right time. Mm-hmm. The feminist movement was just exploding. I feel like we started the period feminist revolution, Mm. um, in 2015. And and Mm. now it's like every company now is like a period pro company, which is (laughs) awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sort of, I, I, built a business, you know, I, I stepped down as CEO, um, last year and then I launched my new company, which is called Tushy.
0: As you're listening to this conversation with Arjuna Arda and his radically brilliant guest, you might feel inspired to go deeper into your own expression of radical brilliance. Come join us for a one-week radical brilliance laboratory held in a beautiful rural location in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. During the laboratory, you'll have an opportunity to dive deeply into all four quadrants of the brilliant Cycle. This means you'll be able to explore experiences of consciousness without boundaries. And you'll be able to start accessing original impulses of creativity from within yourself that can become your unique contribution to the world. You can get in touch with your own learning and integrate mistakes that will allow you to mature and grow. You'll have the chance to deeply mine your own resources as well as connect with other brilliant people in a small, intimate context for a week. You can check out the Radical Brilliance Laboratories at radicalbrilliance.com under the events tab.
2: Yeah. Um, and Tushy is um, looking at the antiquated way we wipe our butts after we go to the bathroom. <laughs> right. You know, like the rest of the world uses bidets. Mm-hmm. And the only reason why Americans don't is because of culture, for cultural reasons. Mm-hmm. You know, during World War II, an American soldier went to fight World War II. They would go to French brothels, and then they would see bidets in French brothels. And then they associated bidets with something sexual and dirty. And so when they came back, they were like, we were never in brothels. Bidets are terrible. Mm. And so that's why it never mm. really picked up after the, you know, during the Industrial Revolution. Mm. And, um, and that's why the plumbing system is built up in the United States, and they never included that sort of bidet right. culture. And so now you know my product is simply a bidet attachment, which, mm. which attaches to any standard American toilet and turns any toilet into a bidet. It's only $69 so it's not like those expensive Japanese toilets. I'm, There's I, no like these weird squat things next to the toilet which are the French things. It simply attaches to your existing toilet.
1: I've ordered enough for my for every toilet in my house. Yeah, it's
2: great. <laughs> you awesome. will not regret it. Yeah. So wh- and, wh- and by the way, most importantly is that do not go to toshi.com it's a porn site. <laughs> go to hello toshi. Hello
3: yes. toshi. And a really intense porn site at that. It's a very great.
1: intense porn site. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um yeah. so um, what was the what was the key moment when when uh, when Hello Tushy was born?
2: That was well, I mean the key moment was during Valentine's Day where wow. Andrew my, our first Valentine's Day together Andrew bought me a bidet attachment like this sort of like Chinese one because yeah. he knew I was obsessed with bidets. We used um, to
1: call them bum squares in India.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're called the lotas. Yeah, the yeah. bum guns.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> And he, you know, you know, he he knew that that I you know I re, I really like being clean down there, mm-hmm. and so he got me a bidet mm-hmm. Attachment, mm-hmm. attachment as a present. Well,
3: because she had always talked about bidets as like a dream, mm-hmm. and you didn't really know that
2: bidet, attachment that, that bidet
3: attachments were a thing. Like a and so I went on Google and I just looked for bidets, and then the first time I saw all these horribly branded bidet attachments, but I still gave it a shot, and it was. It was okay, mm-hmm. but it was still better than nothing. Yes, you know? and
2: so, so he got that for me, and I was like, oh, my God, this is like my dream come true. I have a day, but it's, it's, like, great, but this product is really ugly-looking. Makes it makes it feel like you have a contraption on your toilet. means what's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. Do you have something wrong with you? Mm-hmm. Versus, like, our product, which looks like an iPhone next to your toilet and feels right. like a sexy, oh, an upgrade to your life. So you it know? lets you
1: control the, the, the flow, right? It controls
2: the flow. It controls the temperature. You can connect it to the your warm water. Oh, yeah. So you also have a temperature Crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so it, it heats the water for you. Yeah, so it actually connects to your under. So your your sink, if it's next to your toilet, you just it comes with a little splitter in a hose. You just uncooked your hot water thing, and then it just connects to your. That's sink. an important
3: point too, because people are always like, I don't want to be sprayed with the toilet water, but it's literally the same water that, that you, you brush breath. your teeth with. Okay. That's because
1: it's coming from the sink so yeah. you on the other have, hand you don't want to brush your teeth with the same wood yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah right right it's like it's pulling from the wall so the wall is like the fresh water coming in you Got it. are just just You brush your teeth with yeah. Yeah. it's not pulling from the toilet bowl or from the tank right it's coming from the wall directly so yeah so that was so and also like the fact that 15 million trees are getting flushed down the toilet sure. every single year just for toilet paper consumption not to mention toilet paper doesn't even actually work I mean mm. would you jump in your shower not turn the water on and just use dry paper to clean your dirty bits right? or would you like wash your dishes and not turn the water on and just use dry paper Well and I think that you, clean? Made, you made you made
1: another comparison as if if a if a, a, bird, pooped if on a your- bird pooped on you would you wipe it off or wash it off Yeah right. and of right. course you'd
2: wash it off and yeah. so it's such an obvious thing that we just don't think about. And I right. think you know, I have a new book coming out called Disrupt Her, yeah. and it's really about disrupting the status quo thinking that we have in our brain, we just unconsciously mm, exactly. do things like robots in this country or in yeah. the world where society tells us how we should think and act. We should just go and wipe our butts with dry paper and that's the way it's been done and that's how we're going to do it. Right. Let's not, I mean like let's not even think about the fact that toilet paper is exacerbating hemorrhoids, urinary tract infections, yeast infections, all these things that can be alleviated by just using water. And so if we just like did everything consciously, if we thought about all of our actions, if we thought about what we are doing to ourselves, what we're putting in our bodies, what we're, you know, like how we're polluting the planet, all those things if we just get a little bit more conscious to yeah. our own authentic selves right. we'd actually would lead much happier lives exactly. and and so the book is really disrupting 30 ma- 13 major areas in our lives right. where we're told how to behave oh and my act, god
1: and you think. know this is so much exactly what radical brilliance is about amazing you know, radical brilliance is really that's what the meaning is to have a thought that is original mm. rising out of out of emptiness and not just a repetition of what we've been taught. Love so, that. Yeah, I love the idea of yeah. disruptive economies. What are you doing now, Andrew? What's your, what's your focus at the moment? So my focus at the moment
3: is uh, I have a company called Tribute mm-hmm. uh, that I've been working on for the past three years. It's my favorite
2: and company of all time. It okay. is a
3: very fun company inspired by an incredible gift I received on my 27th birthday from the woman sitting right next to me. Um, so I walked into our apartment on my 27th birthday and found out that Mickey had planned this incredible surprise party. So she has 25 of my closest friends who are all there. They jump out, happy birthday, the whole thing. And then halfway through the party, she gathers everyone in our living room and she puts this video on this projection screen she had rented. And uh, she sits me in the back of the room and I have no idea what the fuck is going on. And and she said, what is this? And she says, don't worry, just wait. And uh, she hits play. And what I didn't know is that Mickey had taken the time to reach out to 25 of my closest family members, my mother, my father. And she asked them all to send a one-minute video telling me why they love me. Mm
1: -hmm. And
3: uh, she took all those videos, she put them into one montage, and she hit play. And so I sat in the back of the room, and the first person on is my mom. And she's Mm -hmm. talking to me about how incredible it was working together. And then it's my dad, who I know loves me, but doesn't really articulate that that often. And tells me that he loves me. And then my brother talking about how great it is that we're friends again. And at that moment, I just break down and I'm bawling in the back of the room in front of 25 of my closest friends and I cried for the next 20 minutes and um I remember that when it was finally done everyone gave me a hug and I look over at Mickey and I was like how did you do this this is the best thing I've ever received and she looks back at me without blinking an eye and she just says it sucked uh-huh. And I was like, what do you mean? And she was like, well, it took me 15 hours to email everybody hundreds of times. I was collecting files. Send me the
2: video. Please dropbox don't to send me the video. Drive.
3: And then, you know, texting editing. it to me
2: so it's pixelated. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, can you dropbox it to me? Can you email it to me? Mm-hmm. And, and then show.
3: last but not least, editing it together in iMovie. So I had just experienced my eulogy mm-hmm. at 27. Right? Beautiful. I had just, for the first time, had mm-hmm. my own value like, mm-hmm. reflected to me by the people I cared most about. And, um,. I realized that it really was one of the most powerful experiences I had ever experienced in that moment. I walked into the other room, mm-hmm. and I just knew that I was supposed to share this with the world. And within two minutes, I had the name Tribute. Mm-hmm. Um, within three months, I had an incredible co-founder that was mm-hmm. you know, heading up some Mozilla projects before that. And then within a year, we had our first product up. And then second year, you had the New Yorker calling it Hallmark 2.0. So basically, and- it's
2: like a, it's a, mm-hmm. an editor. So, so basically, imagine if you want to do a tribute for your, one of your sons. It automatically sends like, an email out to everyone saying, film this one video, and then you just hit submit, and it automatically compiles on tributes So it manages the
3: three steps. So it basically automates invitations, sends automatic reminders to everyone that you invite, uh, gives them a simple platform so they can record a video from their website, from a mobile phone. Those get ingested into our custom web-based video editor where all the videos are automatically collated. So we say that it takes a 15-hour process into a 15-minute one. Mm -hmm. And if there is anyone who has impacted your life, whether it's a mother, whether it's a father, a spouse, a, a child, that Every single person you care about deserves this experience. Fantastic. So if it Tribute hasn't happened, co. if you ever need a grade,
1: Tribute great girl. Tribute.co. Co. Is tribute.com another porn site? No. <laughs> Some boring midwestern fulfillment company. So <laughs> okay. Yeah, are, Tribute co. Tribute.co, great. It's amazing.
2: Yeah. It changed my life too. But
3: it's the, it's the whole idea of like how do you use technology to facilitate meaningful right. connection. And the thing it's like a lot of times. Like social media and these platforms get a bad rap and they say that they lead to more isolation and more loneliness and a decrease in subjective well-being. And while that is true, what is also true is that there's actually kind of contrarian research that shows that when people use social media actively, when people are on social media and they are not just liking or just browsing, but they're messaging people and they're commenting, Mm. and they're hearting stuff that they like, that it actually leads to either a neutral or an increase in subjective well-being. Mm. Mm. So technology is a beautiful platform that hopefully Mm. most of the time, certainly you can manipulate people with it, Mm. but that... Technology is an incredible platform, and in that if you give people the context for creativity, for meaning, mm. that people mm. really can do beautiful things and connect in meaningful ways that serve them in the offline world. And so that's what we're doing: is building technology that allows people to connect more deeply in their important relationships. Yeah, that's
2: fantastic. Mm, that's the best. You no, know, tell them, about, tell them about your KPI.
3: Yes. your KPI
2: is key performance indicator.
3: Yeah, so the the KPI that we track most of the time is something called TOJ, yeah. which literally stands for Tears of Joy. Uh-huh. And so, to date, after a hundred thousand of these things given, really, we literally You've made a hundred thousand videos. Yeah, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, so that's we so have cool. uh, we have an eighty percent TOJ rate uh-huh. of the recipient literally crying tears, tears of, of joy. joy. That's fantastic. So it's pretty incredible. I'm very fortunate to work on it.
1: You know, radical brilliance and this whole. Uh, podcast is really about it's about really activating that question who says who says it has to be that way mm. and really allowing original ideas to fill the vacuum and honestly, of anybody i've talked to so far you guys are just like the embodiment of mm. of, of social entrepreneurship you. and disruptive business so mm. thank you so much it's been really incredible joy and i, I feel like i've found my long lost relatives you know oh. in, in, in both of you yeah. We're very excited to be here. And if you want
2: to find Andrew, you just go to itsandrewhorn.com. And oh, you
1: do? It's and Andrew.
3: Mickey is mickeyagrawal.com. A-G-R-A-W-A-L. All right. Well, we'll put
1: that on the page. Great. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank- Right. Well, that was Mickey Agrawal and her husband, Andrew Horn. Pretty amazing, crazy stuff, right? So I want to ask you today, as always, I love to invite you not to just making listening to this podcast a passive experience, but a proactive experience where you can take everything you've heard from the guest and turn it into something in your own life. So I'm going to ask you just right now, before you go any further, take five or ten minutes to contemplate and to journal on the topic of disruption. Where could you be more disruptive in an evolutionary way? You know, the mantra of disruption, in my opinion, is the question, who says? Who says it has to be that way? You've heard already from many disruptive speakers in other episodes of this podcast. Lynn Twist was disruptive in the way she thought about hunger, in the way she thought about the future of the rainforest. Alex Ebert was disruptive in the way he thinks about music and the way that music gets created. You're going to be hearing from John Gray, who's disruptive in the way he understands brain chemistry and supplementation. In fact, this entire podcast series is is exclusively (laughs) limited to exclusive for disruptive people as guests. Almost everyone that I talk to in some way is a disruptor. Someone who's ready to shape things up and to ask that that golden question, who says? Who makes the rules here? Who says it has to be that way? Let's do it different. You know, you're going to hear me in conversation with Shamily, my wife talking about relationship we have a disruptive way of talking about relationship but when she's back from greece shamali will be back on the podcast talking about her own work with um awakening women and you'll hear how radically disruptive she is in the way that she understands the feminine in the way that she understands spirituality and Everything that she has created has been created out of this question, who says? So how can you become a disruptor in your life? How could you disrupt the status quo around family life, around the way you do your job, around the way your house looks on your street, in your neighborhood? How can you disrupt the status quo, shake things up a little bit and do something artistic and beautiful and brilliant? Disruptors are the ones who get the applause. Disruptors, of course, are also the ones who get frowned upon and judged and discouraged by the status quo, by the old paradigm. But ultimately, it's disruptors who move the world forward into the future, into a better future. So how can you disrupt your life today And live in a way that's more brilliant, more creative, more loving, more compassionate, more exemplary than the way things are usually done. I'd love to hear from you about that. Why don't you take a few minutes to journal on it and then you could pop over to RadicalBrilliance.com, go to the podcast tab. You can share under this podcast your thoughts or you could go to Facebook forward slash Radical Brilliance. If you scroll down, you'll find a post about this podcast and you can Share your, your ways of being disruptive there. I do read everything that you write and uh, I look forward to reading it. All right, so that wraps up another episode of the Radical Brilliance Podcast. I look forward to welcoming you back to be in dialogue with my longtime, very close friend, Eric Edmeads, the founder of Wild Fit. And we're going to be talking about how we can be disruptive in the food, that we put into our bodies.